All right, welcome to another episode of THN on the O. I am Tony Ferrari, the most beautiful bald man you've ever met. And with me is my beautiful bald co-host, Brock Otten. How are you doing this week, Brock? Good, Tony. How are you doing? <laughs> ah, not too look bad, at that. Not too bad. Oh, just, I, I'd show it off, but uh, I need a shave, so I'm not going to. Uh, but no, I figured this week we'd start off with the three stars. We capped off last week's episode with it, so I figured we'd kick it off this week. And this week, we've got a few guys to mention, and I figured we'd start off with a guy that we're recognizing a little bit for his whole season contributions, but he had a really good weekend with two, 2-0 and record, uh, 950 save percentage in a shutout, 57 saves on 60 shots. That's Michael Simpson from the Peterborough Peets. Yeah, I, I think you really hit the nail on the head there, Tony. This is sort of like a season-long achievement. He was really good this past week, but I think we just need to respect the fact that Simpson has been fantastic for Peterborough this whole season you know, coming into the year, I think there was a bit of a question mark surrounding Peterborough's goaltending and if it would be good enough to propel them to the top of the standings like some people were expecting. And Simpson has definitely stepped up to the challenge. Yeah, I mean, the goalie is always a pivotal position for any team, but when you in the OHL specifically, and I mean junior hockey in general, if you don't have a good goalie, a lot of times you can't outscore your problems because every team's scoring a lot. So having a good goalie in, in the way Simpsons played this year has really kind of given them uh, an advantage in that. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at the firepower that they have and continue to sort of build upon on offense, uh, you know, they're looking like a very dangerous team throughout the year and heading into the playoffs. All right. And our second star comes from the Guelph Storm. And it's Matthew Poitras, who had eight points, six assists this week in two games. He's had a pretty good season so far this year, and he's starting to climb up the, the standings in terms of points for the, for the uh, entire league. Yeah, I think the important thing to note, too, is that it was two wins, which, you know, Guelph has had a hard time achieving this year. Uh, they've kind of under um, underplayed, underperformed from where everybody thought they would be, and they've even started selling off a little bit with the passage of trade, and they need players like Quatras to, to step up. And, you know, he had a really good couple of games now. It was against Niagara, who's been a train wreck lately. And it was against Kitchener, who have been very consistent. We've kind of talked about that. But, you know, a, a really good week in a two-game span. And hopefully it uh, it allows them to maybe find a little bit of steam moving forward in the right direction. And, I mean, at the end of the day, like you mentioned, they've already started to sell off. And and maybe Matthew Poitras is a guy that they look to sell off even further and really kind of just collect draft picks and kick off the rebuild in a big way. Because I think at this point, you get a pretty good, big haul for him. What do you kind of think is the plan for him moving forward? Yeah, I think it's going to depend. I think maybe the uh, the uh, passage off trade was just sort of like a, let's stir things up a little bit. Let's send a message to the room. Like, if we don't turn the ship around, you know, we're we're selling off everybody. Um, and we're rebuilding and then see how the players respond. And if it, they don't respond extremely well and Guelph doesn't turn it around, you've got a lot of trade chips that you can move uh, like Zilkin, like uh, Poitra. Uh, there's a lot. And if they do respond, I mean, great. Then the team can turn things around. It's not too late. Um, you know, strong second half can propel you up the standings. And, and once they hit the playoffs, I mean, they obviously had the roster on paper to, to be, successful it just hasn't turned out that way yeah it's really unfortunate for them so far this year but like you said hot, hot second half is uh could be big for them but moving on to our third star we're going to give it to north bay defenseman ty nelson had a good week three games six points and overall i think it's the development for him this year has been the big thing 
Yeah, I mean, Ty Nelson's been really good this year. Um, I think he's really cleaned stuff up in the defensive end. Some of his decision-making and some of his reads uh, have really cleaned up. And I think that we're now seeing him with sort of regained confidence in his offensive abilities. I felt like in the second half last year, maybe just too much pressure from the draft and the expectations of being such a high selection in the OHL draft. Maybe it was just a little bit too much. And now he just seems a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more free-flowing, and it's really doing wonders for his game. Yeah, seeing him refine a few things in the defensive zone and, and recapture some of that daring uh, offensive play that we we're used to seeing from him coming out of uh, Midget. It, it's been fun to watch him kind of develop into that player we've all kind of thought he could be. Maybe it's a year later than we all thought, but it, it's been really fun to see him. I think he has 22 points in 20 games this year, so he's having himself a pretty good year. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think he's developed into one of the better defenders in the OHL already, and he's probably going to have another year next year as well. All right, now let's move on to the news of the week. And the big news to start things off, I figured we'd kick it off with the Memorial Cup finalist news today. Just announced Kingston, Niagara, Saginaw, and the Sioux were the four finalists for the Memorial Cup in 2024. The big question is, who do you think gets it? Oh, that's a good question. Um you know, the first thing that quite a, sort of jumped out to me when I saw those list of four teams was, are any of these four teams really going to be good enough to be Memorial Cup contenders? The team that I would say is the closest is Saginaw. I mean, they've got a, a really solid young roster right now. They're playing very, very well. Um, I think that maybe helps to explain maybe, you know, the blue move if they move Minchikov at some point this year too. Uh, trying to gear towards next year because obviously Bloom wouldn't have been there next year. Um, you know, Minchikov is not going to be there next year. So maybe that's the direction they sort of take and and build around guys like Nisa and Joey Willis and uh, some of the other good young players that they've started to develop. And so that was sort of like the first one that kind of jumped out to me. And I thought it would be cool to have the Memorial Cup in, in the U.S., uh, in Saginaw. Um, now, I... Uh, I think in terms of maybe the worst candidate right now would be Niagara. I mean, the team's not playing well. Um, I can't see them being extremely strong next year. I can see them being better, but not extremely strong. Uh, you've got some turmoil happening with changing of coaches and new owner. And they do have a, a gorgeous rink. Uh, I will tell tell you that. The Niagara's rink is, is gorgeous. Um, the facilities are great. It's just, I just don't know about the quality of the team. What do you think, Tony? Who's who's the number one contender? I think I agree with you on there, on the, the Saginaw pick of being the number one contender, at least thus far. Like you said, Misa is the big attraction. Uh, having an American market would be really interesting, I think, as well. It'd, it'd give it a, a little bit of a flavor. I uh, have three Canadian teams probably go in there and then go into play against the American team. And maybe they get that home ice advantage of being in their home country. It'd be really fun to watch. And like you said, Misa's there. Minchikov's only 18. He'll probably be gone next year. But what if he does come back? How big of a, an addition to the, their Memorial Cup chances would that be? It, it'd be interesting kind of going forward. But, it, it, it yeah, I got to gotta echo your sentiment on, on Niagara. When I saw that, I knew they were going to bid. We talked about it before earlier on the podcast in the last week of the week before, that their plan was to bid. But there's so much turmoil. Like I said, they've made the most trades and the most moves in the OHL since la the end of last season. And none of them have really worked out. So my biggest question is, what are they doing in this group? Because Kingston, as much as I'm like, eh, they're, they're going to be okay. I think next year they're going to be good. But are they going to be Memorial Cup quality? Same thing with the Sioux. They're going to be good, but are they going to be Memorial Cup quality? 
I think Saginaw has the inside track, but Niagara definitely does seem like the wild card in there. Their facilities are really nice, but yeah, it's a, it it was a questionable one when I saw it in there. Yeah. I I think, you know, uh, again, I agree with you. The Sioux and Kingston should be pretty good next year, but uh, just not at the level that you'd expect from a Memorial cup host. Now, could they load up? Sure. Could they do really well attracting, you know, some talent from the import draft or anything like that? Alternative ways of, of acquiring talent. Sure. Uh, but it just seems a little bit more far-fetched. I think Saginaw seems sort of like the safe choice within that group of four. All right. Now we move on to maybe one of the more confusing stories in all of junior hockey, to be completely honest. Mouthguard gate. Explain what's happening here. So the OHL and the officials sort of sent out this memo to teams that they were going to be calling these equipment infractions for players who don't properly use their mouth guard. And if you're watching the NHL, you know, this is a big thing happening now. Players are constantly chewing on their mouth guard. It's never in. I mean, look at the Kachuk brothers. They're famous for it, right? It's, it's in NHL, the video game. Players are chewing on their mouth guard. So this is something that, you know, these young players are seeing some of their idols doing and the OHL is saying, no, you're, you're not doing this. You're keeping your mouth guard in. And what we're seeing is, a massive amount of <laughs> 10 minute misconduct penalties being called over the last week. Like we're averaging like two or three per game uh, right now for these 10 minute misconduct penalties where the league's trying to send this message. And I mean, I get it player safety. We know that there are a lot of studies out there that say mouth guards not only protect the dental area, but they prevent concussions. And this is obviously a stance that the league is taking and players are just going to have to adjust. But it, I mean, it's just interesting that to me, I maybe I expected there to be a, like a little bit more leeway, like maybe like a, a warning or two warnings or, you know, maybe easing it in, but it's just been gung ho. Like they have been full bore on making sure these are called. Yeah, the thing I found really interesting, or at least the, th- the thought process I find really interesting is someone brought it up to me that, oh, this is going to be a thing for a week or two or two weeks, three weeks maybe even. But like we've seen in the NHL and other leagues, when they crack down on cross-checking or they crack down on hooking or whatever they crack down on on any given year, it starts to ease up as the season goes on. And that's going to be my big question is, is this going to be something that in a pivotal playoff series or in a pivotal game towards the end of the year when you're kind of fighting for playoff position – when your players gets a 10 minute misconduct because he's got his mouth guard hanging out of his mouth, it's going to be interesting to see how much they continue to crack down on it. Or is this going to be like a, a two week blitz and hopefully guys put the mouth guards back in their mouth and then they can at least go, look, we tried. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really good point, Tony. Like imagine if we get to the OHL final and they're still cracking down on this and the best player on one of the teams, eight minutes to go, picks up a 10 minute misconduct for, for his equipment. And that's, that's a big blow and that's going to possibly decide a game. Right. So players are just going to have to adjust and I'll give the OHL credit. Usually when they do crack down on these types of things, they are a little bit more consistent than the NHL when they say they're going to crack down (laughs) on things. Um, So we'll see. All right, now moving on to our last big piece of news for the week. NHL Central Scouting upgraded two OHLers to an A status, meaning they view them as first-round prospects at the moment, and that's Bo Aki and Quentin Musty. What were you, What was your take on both those guys getting up, bumped up? 
I think it makes perfect sense. Uh, those were two guys that we had talked about when we mentioned it on the show when the list first initially came out, that they were sort of possible bubble players for that A and B range. And both have really continued to play well. Musty has responded extremely well to the coaching change to Derek McKenzie. I think he's playing the best hockey probably of his OHL career thus far in the yeah. last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, the, I think it makes perfect sense to have them both as A's. Yeah, that was the one thing I was going to mention with Musty is I've seen him come alive basically since we talked about him being a B-rated prospect. He's taken a lot of steps to gain a little bit more consistency. He still has some issues off puck and do, doing some goofy things in the defensive zone, but there's been a lot more to like in his game lately. So I was happy to see him kind of get bumped up to a to an A because on my personal board, he's kind of bumped himself up a little bit as well. So it's good to see the recognition for him. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. All right, now we're actually going to be joined by Josh Bloom, the newest member of the North Bay Battalion, for an interview. All right, now we're joined by Josh Bloom, newly minted forward of the North Bay Battalion. How's it going today, Josh? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, just to start things off, we got a little bit of a surprise for you. I reached out to a little contact and got something special to show you that I want to chat with you about. So Connor's going to flash that one for us. So I know that you are a bit of a baller um, and believe it or not, uh, I got this because I coached against you a fair amount during this year. Um, I, I'm the phys ed teacher at River Oaks. So we played you guys a whole bunch or probably over the course of your, you know, public school career. And uh, that is yeah, I reached out and got, I got this. Yeah. yeah. That is awesome. Oh yeah, so are you, are you still balling? Are you still playing basketball? When you no, get a chance? no, no, that you no gave that basketball. up. Uh, I remember the times I did, though, it was a lot of fun, but uh, yeah, no more basketball for me. Ah, that's too bad. That's too bad. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so anyway, to, to go towards hockey now, um, you've been to two NHL camps now with the Sabres, so I'm kind of curious what the difference has been between those two, your first and your second. Yeah, I think just comfortability, like knowing all the guys, being a little bit more comfortable. Uh, unfortunately, I had a shoulder injury when I went to camp, so I didn't really get the full experience this year. But that being said, Buffalo puts on a great camp every single year. And uh, it, you really develop when you go there. And then lucky enough to be part of development camp this summer for the first time. Got to go to the Bills Stadium, which is really, really cool. Their facilities and all that. So um, there's a little video of Matias Samuelson breaking my ankles on the Buffalo Bills field. But <laughs> Other than that, that experience was great. And, uh, yeah, again, just Buffalo puts on a great show for us every year. That's awesome. Now, to your OHL career, you were obviously traded from Saginaw right to North Bay, where you are now. What were kind of your initial thoughts on that? Uh, initially, like, a little shocked. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, Saginaw was uh, first place in our division when I got traded. So, uh, I didn't really see it coming. But that being said, once uh, I got on the phone with Adam Dennis and Ryan Willian, uh, they kind of broke down what's going on in North Bay and gave me a really, really excited feeling about the whole thing. So now that I'm here, uh, everything they've said is true, and uh, we're building something pretty special. Now, obviously, you're the captain in Saginaw. You have a lot of leadership qualities that you're bringing with you. What's something that you're bringing with you from that leadership experience from Saginaw to North Bay now? Yeah, like I was a, I was an assistant captain last year. Uh, had Cameron Baber as my captain and helped me develop a lot as a leader and as a person. Uh, this year, lucky enough to be named captain and uh, came with challenges along the way, of course, as every every captain experiences. But again, just developing as a leader, finding a way to work throughout different people, different rooms and stuff like that. So 
Uh, again, it doesn't change whether I wear a letter here in North Bay or not. Like I'm going to bring the same leadership qualities I brought in Saginaw and uh, the same with Braden Hislop, who's, uh, who came here with me, sir. Yeah, and for those who are sort of unfamiliar with, with your mm-hmm. game, how would you sort of describe yourself as a player? Yeah, I'd say I'm a really fast player. I like to use my speed a lot and make decisions really quickly. Um, working on my uh, on my hunt and my track a little bit here uh, within the last couple of months, and I feel like that's grown a lot in my game and uh, being relied on as more of a 200-foot player now. So, uh, yeah, I'd say a 200-foot player who plays at a lot of pace. Is there a guy in the NHL that you kind of look at and say, you know, this is somebody stylistically that that I need to play like to, to be successful and to make the NHL or, or someone that you sort of like want to play like? Yeah, I look at guys like uh, Evgeny Malkin and uh, Taylor Hall. Like Taylor Hall plays with a ton of speed, isn't afraid to get on the forward check. And then you look at Evgeny Malkin and finds a way to use his size and just be a dominant force out there. So those two guys bring a lot to the table that I think I can incorporate in my game. And then I look at a guy like Josh Anderson who uh, – isn't afraid to mix it up here and there. So looking to get some more of that in my game. Right on. Um, next one would be, you've been like an absolute monster on, on the penalty kill the uh, the last couple of years. So, you know, what's the secret? Like, why are you so successful at, at scoring <laughs> shorthanded? Like what's, what's leading to that? Do you think? Yeah. I think the biggest thing is uh, understanding the systems. Well, like I think uh, our assistant coaches in Saginaw did a great job and, helping me understand the systems to hundred percent and understanding when it's the right time to jump. And uh, with Billy working the uh, PK here, I'm already really, really comfortable with uh, North Bay's uh, penalty kill. And so uh, I'm already getting some minutes on there and uh, I just feel comfortable already. So I think uh, the biggest thing is understanding the system inside and out. And then from there, understanding where you can jump and kind of turn a little bit of an offensive sheet into a PK. Now, going back to your days in Saginaw a little bit, obviously you were named captain this year, so you probably took some of the younger guys under your wing. One of the younger guys there was Michael Miso. What was kind of the experience playing with him, and what do you think kind of makes him special? Yeah, every everything about his game, he plays a very mature game for his age, and just the dynamic speed he has all over the ice. Like, he's turning feet everywhere. Once he turns someone's feet, he makes you pay for it. So um, he's, he's also an unbelievable smart smart hockey player like learned our systems inside and out right away and couldn't say enough about him as a person too just a great kid and uh yeah like we're both from Oakville had a lot of connections right off the bat and kind of kind of made those connections right away so he's a great person he's gonna have a really really long career now obviously you started pretty hot in uh, North Bay so far with three points in three games what has kind of allowed you to have that success early on yeah, I think the uh, the ability for them to make me really comfortable really fast and my line mates making me really, really comfortable out there, like knowing where I'm going to be, I know where they're going to be, and still finding out the ins and outs. I think this week of practice is really important for me, <laughs> playing three games without a practice. So kind of getting ins and outs of uh, of the systems here. and uh, But, yeah, I think comfortability is the biggest thing, like came in and felt comfortable right off the bat. All right, Josh, I really appreciate you doing this. It's a ton of fun to talk to you, and uh, good luck the rest of the way, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks to Josh for joining us. It was fun talking to him and getting to know him a little bit more. And uh, the pictures of him, him playing basketball back in the day against Brock were uh, always fun to see. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, that was when we uh, got Josh secured as a guest. It was the first thing I thought about bringing up. So, 
All right, now let's jump into the Ottawa Senators prospect pool. They have a number of prospects in the OHL. And let's start with the big name, the first rounder, 10th overall back in 2021, Tyler Boucher, who's had a bit of an up and down year. And honestly, when he was drafted, I never really thought we'd see him in the OHL, but he's playing for the Ottawa 67s this year. He's got 11 points in 11 games, seven goals. The Power Ford has 17 penalty minutes and is a plus two on a pretty good team. So what has been your kind of your read on Josh or on uh, Tyler Boucher's game this year? He has just so many interesting NHL-worthy qualities. I mean, he skates well. You know, he he is excellent on the forecheck. He generally has a good awareness and understanding, I think, in, in especially the neutral zone and the offensive zone. I think there's a way that an NHL staff is going to be able to employ him as a player and make him a very effective NHL player. Now, as you and I have sort of discussed I just don't see it being as a player that fits in the top half of a lineup. Um, I think that the limitations in terms of skill, uh, the hands, the shot, I think I just don't see somebody who has high end offensive potential. I see somebody who is going to likely be a long time NHL player. I think that he's going to develop or have to develop, uh, you know, a little bit better play off the puck, especially in the defensive zone. Um, if he wants to be a successful bottom six player. I know that there was sort of some optimism when Ottawa drafted him that high that he could develop into that sort of Tom Wilson type. But having seen Tom play in the OHL, Tom's hands were always fantastic. It was just a matter of the discipline and staying on the ice. And Tyler sort of had some similar issues. And I think that it's caused his physical game to become a little bit inconsistent because I can see that he's sort of like wondering, when do I hit? How do I hit? How do I approach this situation without getting suspended? I, I think he's having trouble sort of walking that line right now. Um, I don't think it's necessarily taking away from his effectiveness a ton. Ottawa's still playing really well. I think he's playing well within that system. I just don't know if that upside is ever going to warrant the the pick that he was. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I think anybody that saw him get picked 10th overall, the reaction at the time was a little bit of shock and awe. A lot of public boards uh, had him in the second round. So for him getting jumped up into the top 10, it was a little bit of a shock. But at the end of the day, this is a power forward who does have some goal-scoring ability. Like you said, he's got that physical game, and he has been a little bit hesitant this year, especially after the most recent suspension. But... there's a lot of tools there. Like you mentioned for a really good third line score, a guy that can maybe work on the power play in front of the net or in the bumper. I think there are some traits that, that can get him to be an NHL player at the end of the day. I, don't, I have no doubt that he's going to get an NHL career, but like you said, the question is what role is he going to play? Is he going to be able to be Josh Anderson when he's at his best and kind of running down guys playing downhill and attacking the net front? Or is he going to be Josh Anderson that we kind of seen in Montreal this year where He's a little bit inconsistent. The goal scoring tendencies are still there. He's still got the ability to kind of power through when he wants to put his put his mind to it, but it's not always as consistent as you'd like to see it. So it's going to be interesting. Like you said, the Tom Wilson comparisons were always a little bit lofty. I think anytime any power forward gets drafted, that has a little bit of bite to his game now. He's getting the Tom the Tom Wilson comparison, much like any defensive forward that plays center is going to be compared to Patrice Bergeron and all these different archetypes in the NHL. It's hard to compare them to the best at what they do, but I think he's going to be able to kind of come up and be an NHLer and do some of those things. Is he going to be able to do all of them on a top line? Probably not, but as a good third line player, I think he can be a really quality addition to an NHL squad. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's just going to matter uh, how patient Ottawa is, right? Are they going to, because 
let me sort of rephrase that. I think he's going to be able to move quickly if Ottawa wants him to move quickly. He's the type of guy that could probably fit into an NHL fourth line next year uh, because he skates well enough, brings that physical element. But is that the best idea for his long-term development? I, I don't know. I think you look at a guy, a name that kind of comes to mind is Marcus Foligno. When he played mm-hmm. in the OHL, I didn't necessarily see the type of player that he has developed into now where we're starting to see him be a little bit more of a scorer. And it's clear that he has really worked on his ability to play that nut front area, uh, has worked on his hand and his release to get it to that level. And it's not out of the question that Boucher could do it. It's just, is Ottawa going to be patient enough the way that Minnesota has been very patient with, with Marcus Felino? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting case going forward. It always is with the uh, Ottawa Senators prospects. But one of the ne- next guys I want to talk about is a guy who I think has taken a pretty decent step this year, and that's Dorian Donovan, left-handed defenseman for the Bulldogs. Fifth-round pick in, in 2022, list the past draft, 136 overall. He's got 11 points in 16 games this year, 17 penalty minutes, but he's minus seven, which isn't uh, too, too shocking on a, on a Bulldogs team this year. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with Jorian is his decision-making with the puck still leaves a little bit to be desired. Um, I think that there are still some question marks in terms of how well he processes play offensively because I think the tools are definitely there. Like, he's he's a very good skater. Um, you know, he's a Sean Donovan's son, right? He, he moves extremely well defensively I think has been the biggest jump for him I think his play in his own end has really really improved um I think that that is sort of the first stepping stone I think to him really improving as an overall player and I think as he becomes more confident defensively we might just start to see you know that confidence carry over to his offensive game a little bit more in terms of that decision making when to pinch when to jump up on the play you know when to lead the attack or when to just make a simple exit um, things like that. And uh, I think I've been pleasantly surprised, kind of like you, uh, as to how he's played this year. Yeah, I think everything builds off that mobility. Once he can kind of get more confidence in understanding he's going to make the right decision, I think that's where he can kind of blossom and become a good defenseman kind of as a prospect moving up in the Ottawa Center system. I think he's going to take time. I think he's one of those guys that might be a guy that plays in the the AHL for a couple of years after his OHL career is done. And then you kind of see where he's at. Is he developing those tendencies to make the right decision, make the the good breakout pass? There have been a few times I've seen him kind of be in the, the right corner or left corner and, and make a pass cross ice to the to the, his own blue line for the breakout. And a lot of times that pass isn't going to work in the NHL. So he, he's going to need to work on some of those decisions. But like you said, that, that base of skating, and the offensive tendencies, he, he started to show a little bit more this year. At least when he, he does flash the, the high skill he has, it's great. But the, some of the, like you said, def- defensive decisions and everything, there, there's still work to do. But there has been a step, which has been nice to see. Yeah, for sure. All right. Now, moving on to Kitchener Rangers left-handed shot defenseman, Thomas Amara. Third round, 87th overall in 2022 draft as well. He's got nine points in 17 games this year. Nine penalty minutes. What have you liked about the Finns game? Yeah, I think some of the things that... Yeah, no, I I knew what you meant because he played in Finland last year. Um, I think the thing that has really stood out about Hamara is sort of what we expected to stand out, and that is his play with the puck. I think he's a very good decision maker with the puck. I think that that has really stood out, uh, at least for me when I've seen Kitchener. I think that defensively, 
he probably has struggled a little bit more than than I expected him to. I think that there's definitely a lot of room for him to be a little bit more physically intense in the defensive end. But that's probably something you could say about most of Kitchener uh, and part of why they've been pretty inconsistent this year on top of maybe some goaltending woes and scoring woes. Um, but I definitely think it's been a, a pretty solid start to his OHL career. Yeah, it's been nice to see him come over. Like you said, the things that we thought he was going to be good at, he's been good at. Defensive game still needs work, but it is his first year over in the OHL. And there's always seems to be an adjustment period whenever a guy from Europe comes over. It's going to be interesting to kind of see where he goes. But there are some holes in his game so far defensively. It, it's been fun to see him play with the puck, though. That, that I will say. Moving on to our next defenseman, Ben Roger from the Kingston Frontenacs. There's not a whole lot here. He's only got three points in 12 games, 10 penalty minutes. What have you liked and what do you kind of think about his future? Yeah, so with Roger, the thing has always been the allure of the package of size and mobility. He's a really good skater for, for a bigger defender. And that's why he was drafted so highly by Ottawa coming out of that sort of weird Ontario COVID year is that potential for him to develop into a really solid two-way player was there. Uh, I just don't think we've really seen that happen. I think that we've kind of talked about this uh, previously and these types of defensemen sort of go one of two ways. And I think so far Roger has kind of shown that there are some limitations to his game with the puck, um, preventing him from using his mobility maybe to the best of his advantage. And defensively, I think that, you know, there's still room for him to improve as, as a decision maker. And, you know, even as an OA player uh, this year being sent back after, you know, getting an audition in the AHL and then being sent back, um, I, I don't know if I see a potential NHL player at this point. Yeah, I agree with you. And kind of moving on to our next guy, Chandler Romeo of the Sarnia Sting. There's a little bit of the same thing. A lot of times when you bet on package, it's not always there. So what do you what have you kind of seen about his game? What do you think his outlook is? Yeah, so the thing with Romeo is he has that same sort of package of mobility and size that you just mentioned. But I would say he's a more physical defender than Ben Roger. So I think that maybe gives him a little bit of a safer projection as maybe some type of depth piece for Ottawa down the line if he can continue to develop. I do think that he's been pretty solid in the defensive end for Sarnia this year. Um, he is what he is. Uh, the offensive game is not going to be a strong suit for him. It's not already in the OHL. It's definitely not going to be in the NHL. Um, it's just a matter of you know, how much better can he get as, as a lockdown defender. Yeah, I agree with you on both those guys. It's when you bet on package, when you bet on tools, like you said, it goes one of two ways. And right now, there's a lot of question marks with both of them in terms of their future as a pro, but it's going to be interesting to kind of see where they develop in the next couple of years. To finish off today's episode, though, I figured we'd get to one mailbag question since we've been wanting to do them for a couple of weeks. Now we just had some busy packed episodes, especially last week with all the news. And this week, I figured we get to the one question about Callum Ritchie, the 2023 draft prospect. He's kind of underproduced than what we thought he's just about a point of game player this year is there a reason to worry yeah this one's a tough one when I saw Cal Ritchie play early on in the year I was so impressed with some of the improvements that he had made to his game and I remember talking to you uh, about this one of our very first episodes about how Ritchie had sort of developed into an off the puck monster in all three zones now when I've seen him recently he looks a little bit lost I think he I don't know if the pressure of the draft here is getting to him. pressure of being sort of a go-to player on a rebuilding team um, in Oshawa is getting to him, 
but he just doesn't look like that same player that started the season. And he just recently ended a pretty long scoring drought. Hopefully, you know, that kind of kickstarts things for him. Um, but he definitely needs to play better to stay in that lottery range where he currently is ranked. I think that uh, that's that's 100% true. Yeah, I think the big thing with him is you look at him and look at previous OHL draft eligibles that have kind of produced the way he has. And you don't have many high end high end draft picks that have done the production that he's he's put up so far He's 14 points in 19 games. Like you said, he's just coming off a streak where he hasn't scored a whole lot, but he's got five points in the last 10 games. The scoring has really slowed down. I look at him and I, I like the off puck work. I like the defensive zone coverage that he has. I just don't know if the scoring is going to be there. And maybe that's just a factor of he is a younger player that's being relied on and asked a lot of on a rebuilding team in Oshawa. Uh, they're probably going to move some guys out as the year goes on. And is he able to step up to the plate and take those minutes and, and really run with them? Because he's going to be the guy going forward, I think, there. So it's going to be interesting because I do like so many of the traits and tendencies that he has in his game, especially defensively being off the puck. But is the offensive game going to warrant that top 15 pick, top 10 pick that he's been kind of touted as going into the year? And I, I've talked to a few people already, and they're kind of pushing him down towards the middle of the end of the first round. I've even talked to a couple people that have had him, have him right outside the first round. So it's going to be interesting because, he, like I said, he has so many good things. It's just not showing up on the score sheet at all. Yeah, like like you said, that potential two-way you know, really strong all situation center, right? And those are hard to find. But in such a strong draft year where there are lots of those types of players, you've got Danielson, you've got Riley Height, uh, Height uh, out of the the West, um, you know, Leo Carlson in, in Sweden. Uh, the list could go on, right? We're going to name a whole bunch of players here and they have similar attributes that Richie does. And they're just playing at a, at a higher level right now. If Richie doesn't step up that production, you know, you're, you you mentioned that you've already spoken to some people who push him down their list, and it's probably just going to continue to be pushed further down if, if that doesn't step up. Even on a rebuilding team, it's tough. Um, but look at a guy like Denver Barkey. We've talked about him, right? London is sort of in a similar situation as Oshawa, and he's a player that is finding a way to make a difference almost every game that I've watched, uh, regardless of how London is doing. And he's not somebody that we're talking about as – a potential lottery pick. Yeah, I look back at guys that I, I tried to look back the other day at guys that produce similar to, similarly to Richie and kind of have a similar profile coming out of junior. And the only guy I could really come up with that's kind of exceeded expectations or been what we kind of thought Richie could be coming out was looking back at the 2013 London Knights team and that had uh, Bo Horvat on it. He had 61 points in 67 games, but he still ended up being a top 10 pick. He's still going to be a player that is going to be a really good NHL for a long time. Can Richie kind of figure it out and get to that level of production? I mean, Bo Horvat had 33 goals that year. Uh, it's going to be hard for him to do on a team like like uh, Oshawa this year, but he really is a solid player, and I hope he can get, kind of get that production figured out and get his game back on track. Yeah, me too. All right, that's going to do it, do it for us this week on the THN on the O podcast. I am Tony Ferrari. You can follow me at the Tony Ferrari. He is Brock Otten. You can follow him at Brock Otten on Twitter. And we thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.